0: This is Post-Mormon at the Movies, Episode 19, Bridge on the River Kwai. Everyone. Welcome to another episode of Post-Mormon at the Movies. This is Nick. And this is Dan. And we have another guest with us this week. Why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Yeah. Hi, everybody. My name's Sean. Um, I am in my mid-20s, I guess. Um, post I'm kind of, I'm in grad school right now. I graduated from BYU a couple of years ago. And I am looking to work in archives, hopefully dealing with media. So that's kind of...
0: I am Awesome. Also a movie lover.
1: Yes. I'd, I'd say a cinephile That's how I okay. like to. <laughs> good. So yeah, that's
0: a good word.
2: And uh we're actually we're having Sean on because he won our Oscars competition as far as you know predictions for who's going to win the Oscars. And he got the most right. You know, so he picked the movie for this episode. Um, and we invited him on to talk about it with us, and he decided to join us. So we're excited to have a listener of the show here
0: with us so welcome
1: yeah super excited to be on
0: so the movie we're talking about is bridge on the river kwai why that movie
1: yeah so i mean um i guess also too it's memorial day weekend coming up yeah very um, fitting as, in terms of recording so that was that was not on purpose that was just coincidence <laughs> but.
2: well I, I don't know if you've listened to like a few of our recent episodes but we've had a happy a few um you know coincidental
0: some little happy accidents
1: yeah
2: dr uh-huh. strange on the week of like daylight savings and <laughs> what else did we do there's a couple other good ones that were yeah. appropriate so very appropriate movie for to, to
0: record on memorial day yes. weekend
1: and pretty close to father's day too right kind of right. a you know the ron yeah. swanson movie right yeah
0: um, <laughs> <laughs> i th- was looking up i think trivia on imdb or something on this movie and somewhere saw a trivia fact little factoid that was like one of the only movies ron swanson has seen <laughs> first, <laughs> down the river kwai so What's yeah this one for sure yep.
1: nice yeah, you got to always trust him to be awesome.
0: <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Sean.
1: Yeah, I'd say uh, two major reasons is one, I really love classic film, you know, Hollywood studio air, um, And so, and for me, especially, you know, as a post-Mormon with a very, you know, orthodox, traditional Mormon family, it's really been classic film over the past couple of years has been a really good way for me and them to connect. I mean, they kind of enjoy it for like, okay, we know there's not going to be any sex or, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of violence and gore or, you know, curse words. Um, And I just like the aesthetic of it and kind of that time period in the history. So um, I I don't know if that's a normal thing in a lot of Mormon families, kind of this love of classics and classic Hollywood. But so that was one reason just because of that connection with with me and my family. Um, And two, I I think it's a really interesting movie to look at through a a Mormon and post-Mormon lens. Um, It really focuses a lot on kind of following orders Um, or I guess in Mormon terms, obedience. Um, And so I just thought it'd be a really interesting film to look at specifically, you know, as a post-Mormon and in a Mormon context.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, Just talking to you guys before we started recording, um, you know, you both have seen it and this was my first time seeing it was watching it in preparation for this. And um, I've always heard of it as like being on like top lists of, you know, the most iconic or like, Mm -hmm. you know, well, most well-made movies in, Cinematic history, and so I've always heard of it, but I'd never seen it. But like after having seen it, it's like, yeah, it deserves to be on all those lists for sure. So, um,
0: excited! Yeah, to I talk think it won it. seven Oscars. Yeah, the year it was nominated, mm-hmm. and including Best Picture and Alec Guinness's only Best Acting Award, and I'm sure. Later in life, obviously, he became only known for Obi Wan Kenobi, much <laughs> right. to his chagrin, I think. But <laughs> I hope, yeah, but yeah, that this is actor. right. This is a great example of like what he was doing before Star Wars and the sort of acting he was doing. And then he was mostly known before this, even though it's like a comedy actor. So it's kind of a fun. He's a very interesting actor and and does a great job in this movie too.
2: Yeah, I think this is the only movie other than Star Wars that I've seen with him in it. So, it was fun to see him in in a different role. Um before we jump into like the Mormon post Mormon connection, should we just talk about things we liked or just in general what spoke to us or maybe why it, you know, la- has lasted as such a an
0: iconic movie. You know, talking about sort of the era that it's coming from. This is like now, you know, this is late 50s, we're sort of post World War II and I think the generation that sort of grew up in world war II, or at least was like young in world war II, is probably the filmmakers behind this movie and others of its time. And so this is sort of like, not as patriotic of a movie about the war as maybe would have been made a decade earlier. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
0: I think one of the reasons why it's lasted is because it's willing to sort of examine the war itself a little bit more and sort of with the distance of time, I think it has a lot of criticisms about sort of the way Brit- the British handled World War II in general. And this sort of is like a little microcosm of that to the point that a lot of British people thought it was very anti-British, this movie. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just sort of, I think held up because it's challenges our ideas about World War II a little bit it makes us think about the war and the people involved and in a way that maybe other movies hadn't. Along those lines, I
2: Came across a quote, I can't remember where I saw it, but somebody said that this movie was a really great war film, but it's also a really great anti war film.
0: Yeah. You
2: know, just kind of showcasing it's not really black and white. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of nuance that you have to think about.
1: Yeah. And I think it's interesting too, because I know when I think of like anti war movies, I think of like Vietnam War, Mm -hmm. right? And so I, I think it's I think World War II is especially something we don't really see a lot of. It's it's usually like rah-rah patriotism. Mm-hmm, right. I and mean, especially with World War II, it's like the motives for that war seemed a little bit more clear too. You know, like Hitler was clearly a bad dude. We gotta stop him, kind of at right? least yeah. that's how I kind of I was taught. So I I think it's like the rare war movie from its time that is willing to look at World War II and just and I just think it's like messy. Like it's willing to kind of admit and it's interesting, there's not really a lot of death either. It's not one of those war movies where it's like Wow, are so terrible! Like, look at all this core. Like, look what happens. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's more like what it does to like the soul and like to the soul, of the soldier, I guess.
2: Madness, madness, <laughs> madness. That's <right>. It's madness. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> a one word review of that.
2: Oh yeah. One thing that I thought was great about this movie was the pacing. It's it's a very slow paced movie, which you know seems to be more of the the style for back then. Like this, a movie like this wouldn't get made today with how slow it moves.
0: It, yeah, wouldn't have the runtime It does.
2: I wasn't affected by that. I wasn't bored at all throughout the whole thing. I was, was, you know, a really well told story and like very deliberately, Mm -hmm. you know, paced and crafted. And
0: so I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. I, I think a lot more move. Like I wish some movies were longer that like that, you know, executives and studios trusted audiences to like not get bored when there's not something exploding on screen and you know, like, and so, yeah, this is a good example of like a movie that is paced really slowly, but it doesn't feel slow at all. Yeah. I totally agree.
1: Yeah. Cause it's what two hours and a half. And I feel like I that so. just yeah. kind of whizzes by
0: the first hour of this movie, if it were made today would be condensed into like 10 minutes of like, mm-hmm. you know, a- Alec Guinness's character Nicholson in the little like box sort mm-hmm. of being stubborn yeah. and proud that would have been maybe the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie and then we're then we're on <laughs> right. <laughs> like, but it, it, it lasted an hour. yeah. <laughs> but it sets it up really well as far as his character. and yeah, I think it's great. I was reading the the trivia about this movie, like they spent like a quarter million dollars just building the bridge and then another quarter million dollars to blow it up and like with a train on top of it. And that's like Christopher Nolan style yeah. filmmaking. like he's the only one that gets away with that now. Uh He can smash an airplane into a building, (laughs) but, you know, back then they, that's the only way they could do it was they had to build a big bridge and put a train on it and blow it up. And, Mm. um, which I think is just fun. Let's knowing that it's all real is just makes the spectacle a little more fun, even though it's not crazy.
1: Yeah. No, no slow-mo at all for that. Right. (laughs) We just kind of see it as it is. And Yeah. It's a great buildup to it too.
0: You know, they're using very, very traditional editing. There are way more tense movies than this, but it's just structured so well mm-hmm. that it, the story pays off in the end. So great. So um, I think I want to start like from that point of view of like Mormon who watches this movie, believing member of the church watches this movie. What are they pulling out of this movie? Saying like this resonates with me. What do you guys think?
1: I, I first watched it I think in high school. Um, so. I- I mean, I think it was like right after I got accepted to BYU. Mm -hmm. So I almost saw like this parallel the first time I watched it of like, you know, I'm kind of, and that was right before I went on my mission too. So it almost felt like I would equate the military with like a mission almost. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, I think one thing that's fascinating about it too, is that especially in like the first half, we see a lot of like positives about the military, Um, you know, especially with Nicholson being able to, you know, stick by the rules, by the G- Geneva Convention, right? Um, and I mean, he has to suffer a lot, right? Um, you know, a trial, I guess, um, in a way, in the mm-hmm. oven. But he's able to, like, through his perseverance and through his, I guess, obedience to, you know, military code, um, he's able to make sure that none of his officers have to work. Which, I mean, he he later makes them. <laughs> um, I <Right. laughs> kind of talk about that later. But but I yeah, I think it. I think it's not. It doesn't like demonize like the military, like in a way a lot of anti-war films. I think there is this fair balance. So something I thought a lot about when I was watching it was kind of like the spirit of the law versus like the letter of the law and kind of how like obedience like I guess brings blessings in a way.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I mean
1: that's not the whole point of the movie, but I think as a Mormon that's something that I really connected to the first time I watched.
2: And you know, with me having seen this for the first time after I've left the church, you know, I have a different perspective but i can i can see you know if i'd seen this while i was a member like or what what could be like what's valuable what people can latch on to and to me like going right along with what you said sean i completely agree that the whole nicholson and you know his little british troop there at the beginning um you know there's something to be said for standing for principles and um you know sticking to what you believe in and i think we'll probably talk later about how that can kind of come apart sometimes um so i think that was spot on another um thing with his little british battalion and kind of the way that nichols is um i i was immediately reminded of two quotes from previous prophets that like stood out a lot that kind of resonated with the sensibility of that and the first one is i don't know if you remember david o mckay like his personal motto that he always talked about which is whatever thou art act well thy part right i don't know if y'all remember that but i remember (laughs) that like (laughs) multiple times hammered in and that's just like what captain nicholson is all about he's like hey they want us to build a bridge we're going to do a a good job on this bridge because that's that's who we are and we want to show them what we're made of um another quote i thought of and it's not a well-known quote but i remember it from a a couple previous lessons and from my mission Um, It's a quote from Joseph Smith, and I can put like the citation for it in our show notes from one of the sermons that he gave. And he says, I see no faults in the church, and therefore let me be resurrected with the saints, whether I ascend to heaven or descend to hell, or go to any other place. And if we go to hell, we will turn the devils out of doors and make a heaven of it. Where this people are, there is good society. Basically saying, you know what, if we do go to hell, we're going to turn it into a paradise. Cause you know, that that's the Mormon work ethic We're we're hard workers. We're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to beautify the place that we're in. Um, you know, and you saw that with the pioneers when they got to Utah, you know, and just turning, you know, what could be a bad situation into, you know, a nice thriving community and society. And that's what Nicholson was all about. He was all about wanting to be civilized and you know, do things the right way. So that's kind of things that resonated with me as far as, you know, a believing Mormon perspective.
0: Yeah. I want to put a pin in that because I think I want to come back around to that quote from a post-Mormon point of view. I think I have more to say on that. Yeah. Me too. (laughs) For sure. um, One of the things, because I totally agree that like following the rules, letter of the law versus spirit of the law, like totally at play here. And I think even like I could see a believing member really loving the first half of this movie Mm because it shows all the good of that. But even the second half of this movie, I think there's a way to interpret it from a believing member point of view as like when in the first half, Nicholson has all of his standards that he wants to hold to. And in the second half, he gets so caught up in the idea of building this bridge that he starts to lower his standards and starts to like, well, I know in the second half, he said not to have the officers work, but now Mm -hmm. to get it done, right? We need to have the officers work. And I think there's an object lesson sort of analogy that could be pulled out of that of like, when we lower our standards, like then, you know, we how do we separate ourselves from the people that, you know, like we become part of the world of, Mm -hmm. if that's what, you know, the analogy you want to, want to maybe extend it to. And I think that there's there's truth there of like, you know, that he had such high standards, but then at what point do you lower your own standards to get something else done? And, and, or is that even the right way to look at it as far as standards, but from a surface level point of view, I think you can pull away, like, obviously he had the right idea and he lowered his standards and look what happened. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. You can all see like him justifying it in certain Mm -hmm. places, like like, oh, like we have to keep to the rules so we can, you know, build this bridge or so we can keep the morale of, you know, the the soldiers up. Um, right. So, yeah, no, that's it. That's definitely an interesting perspective to kind of see how the, the second part would fit more into like a traditional Mormon, you know, perspective.
0: And I remember hearing those sort of lessons from apostles and of like, mm-hmm. well, the world has moved the line over here. So I'm going to move the line over here. Like that sort of yeah. object lesson idea that I feel like. You could easily make that sort of analogy on the second half here.
2: There is something from the second half that I, I think, you know, could resonate with a believing Mormon perspective. That the Americans, right? <laughs> no, I'm
0: just, just joking.
2: <laughs> well, actually, yeah, it's um, Shears, who's the American. Uh-huh. And it's the part where they're going through the jungle and it, you know, the commanding officer in that spot, what's his name? Major Warden, mm-hmm. who's kind of leading mm-hmm. their little band. You know, he's all about, We have to complete this mission no matter what the cost. If you're injured, we're leaving you, you know, Um, we're going to get this mission done. And then he gets injured and his foot's, you know, having Mm -hmm. a hard time and he's slowing everybody down and he tells everybody to go on without him. And then Shears just kind of, you know, pushes back a lot against that by saying,
0: you make me sick with your heroics. There's a stench of death about you. You carry it in your pack like the plague. Explosives and L pills, they go well together, don't they? And with you, it's just one thing or the other. Destroy a bridge or destroy yourself. This is just a game, this war. You and that Colonel Nicholson, you're two of a kind, crazy with courage, for what? How to die like a gentleman, how to die by the rules, when the only important thing is how to live like a human being. I'm not gonna leave you here to die, warden, because I don't care about your bridge and I don't care about your rules. If we go on, we go on together
2: and maybe maybe I'm jumping ahead because there's there's a couple different aspects about this scene that I think are worth
0: talking about. That quote made me think more about the post-mormon sort of interpretation of this movie, but you're saying there's sort of a believing point to take from that Dan
2: yeah i I just think the fact of you know we're all brothers and sisters, we're not gonna leave anybody behind. We're gonna do what we can to help other people, yeah. And, you know, I think we'll probably talk more about more nuance behind that scene maybe later on about the post-Mormon perspective, but that's, that's kind of what I got from a believing view
0: of it. Mm -hmm. Why don't we transition to the post-Mormon? Because for that, that quote, like what really stuck out to me was that like, we're going to follow the rules no matter the cost, like, and and that cost becomes humanity Mm -hmm. or the humans involved, you know, what, what the human cost is from following rules to the letter Right. And I feel like that's sort of the theme of this movie in a nutshell is that like, you know, if there's sort of a, what did I, what's the takeaway from this movie, the theme I'd sum it up in something like that, that like rules are great until there's a human cost to them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's all of Nicholson's story is that like, he wants to follow the rules until the rules become such a guiding force that he ends up losing sight of, who he is and like what his purpose was and being there. And, and I feel like that is definitely something that I kicked against as a believing member culturally in the church of like, Mm -hmm. that, like why, like following the rules to the detriment of individuals or, or even the whole church, you know, collectively, Mm -hmm. like sometimes the idea of obedience or following rules without any real reason why, but just because it was a rule was was difficult and far too common in my experience as a member in the church. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and especially like seeing obedience kind of as a virtue in and of itself without looking behind. Okay, what what are you obeying, right? I mean, mm-hmm. something like, you know, the Geneva conventions, I would say obedience to that's a pretty good <laughs> you know, a pretty good <laughs> measurement, but right. I mean, I think obedience to just a commanding officer on the mm-hmm. other hand, like that that's probably not the best way to go cuz I mean, how can you rely on your officer to know the nuances of a situation? Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think that really plays out in this movie. Um, it's, it's almost like the lower level, you know, either like the medical officer Jennings or um, I guess Commander Shears, even though mm-hmm. he's not a commander yeah. till later. It's kind of the low ranking people that are kind of the conscious of the military. You
2: know, mm-hmm.
1: This movie, which I, I think is really interesting. and pushes back on this idea of like deference to officials.
2: Right. One of the phrases that kept running through my mind while I watched this movie was, um, you know, the phrase of the hill that you're willing to die on. Right. Or basically, you know, what is the principle or what is the the thing that you're willing to defend to the death that you're willing to stand up for no matter what? And so much throughout this movie with, you know, the general commander Saito and with Nicholson and Warden, it's like, I was just thinking, is that the hill that you really want to die on? Like there's, right. you know, you're defending your your honor or you're defending your rules or your loyalty to whatever it is so much that, you know, like, like we talked about, you're forgetting about the humanity of the lives that are in that war.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there's a lot of stubbornness and pride going yeah. on all over this movie. I wanted to share a story.
2: This was back when I was in singles ward and my wife and I might have been engaged. We were in the singles ward together. Anyways, it was ward conference and we had, I think it was a member of the stake high council that came to give one of the talks in our ward conference. And he was talking about his career path and kind of his job and like growing up with his family, but he was telling the story of you know, when he was young or when he was in college, like he got a spiritual prompting, what he was supposed to study, what he was supposed to do for his career. And I don't know what it was, but let's say it's accounting. And so he, you know, studied and turns out he said that he didn't really have like a really good knack for it. It wasn't something that he particularly enjoyed, but he knew that that was what he was supposed to do. And so he worked really hard, still had trouble, got like bad grades, but anyways, ended up getting a degree in it. Um, you know, he, he also later went on to get a postgraduate degree in whatever it was. And so did like some extra schooling, but had a really hard time. And he kept telling these stories about how he kept like failing classes and having to retake years and having to push really hard all the meanwhile, like he's talking about how his family was negatively affected as far as like, they had all sorts of financial troubles and he's having all, you know, lots of kids. And just kind of a really hard financial time in this job or this career path that he's not super excited about, you know, that he's not particularly good at, kind of made it seem like he's just kind of like mediocre at it and not, you know, like not really (laughs) doing very well even now. But I guess the moral of the story was like, you know, you've got to stick to what you know to be true and it was supposed to be like a faith promoting story, but my wife and I were just like looking at each other through, you know, my fiance back then just looking at each other throughout this talk and like a little bit horrified by how rigid he was that he had to follow that the whole time. And it made Kim really mad that he was doing that because, you know, the negative side effects of, you know, the financial hardships that his family had to go through. And I just felt really sad for him being in that position. And so I think that that can relate to, you know, Nichols kind of pushing forward with that rigidity. And my wife watched this movie with me and she was really mad at him too, because other soldiers (laughs) lives were at stake. Right. Right. When they threatened to shoot the officers or when they were going to send all the sick, the sick soldiers to go work. She was just really upset about, you know, at what cost, is that the Hill that you want to down, you know?
1: Yeah. And I I think it's an interesting um, comparison between him um, Nicholson and Colonel Saito who I feel like is really rigid and stubborn, but in a way where he's more like results first. And he's kind of like, well, you know, I, I know the rules, but like, I have to build this bridge and like my life depends upon it. And so it, it's interesting to see that he's like almost a, a flip side of Nicholson, like a foil. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it's almost like the pendulum is swinging the, the other way, right? Like he doesn't really have many rules to follow. He's just focused on this bridge no matter like, no matter what cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost feel like the movie does a good job at showing like, okay, like these are two both extremes and neither of them are really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's just got to find some way of, you know, having some type of rules system to follow, but also having, you know, morals that back it up and be willing to change. Um, right. Cause I mean, Nicholson does change right at the end. You know, what have I done? He kind of realizes are the, the last lines he others mm-hmm. before he dies. So like, are, are we able to to change our kind of perspective before it's too late, almost?
2: Yeah. I kind of liked how towards the end of the movie that Nichols and Saito almost became friends. There's like an uneasy peace between them and like cooperation.
0: Or one of those like Marvel movie villain sort of lines where it's like, we're not so different, you and I. <laughs> like, you know, that, yeah. like an understanding between them of like, oh, we're, yeah, we are like two... Two sides of the same coin at least as far as their like their pride and stubbornness and and that mm. resulted in a great bridge but <laughs> not, uh, not much else you know no pun intended <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i think even like the american character um shears he's sort of in the same boat where he's like these guys are so hellbent on destroying this bridge now that like he's getting dragged back into everything and he wanted out. And it's like, they're all in it for the wrong reasons. And and there's like, no one is really doing it because it's the right thing to do. They're all doing it because someone else told them to do it. And I feel like mm-hmm. it makes it hard to be invested. Mm-hmm. In, in, and I think we see that of sort of the soldiers underneath Nicholson are, are questioning, why are we doing this? And especially the doctor who's like very against yeah that and which is he's one of the most interesting characters and he gets so little screen time <laughs> in my notes actually I made a list I think he might be my favorite character because
2: he's just like the voice of reason throughout the yeah. whole movie and I made a like, like list of several examples of him like like trying to call people into check right like mm-hmm. he convinces Saito to not shoot the officers he tries to convince Nicholson to stop being so stubborn so that it doesn't endanger the men's lives. He says, he's like, are they both mad? Am I going mad? Or is it the sun? Right. <laughs> he he tells Nicholson, he's like, what we're doing could be construed as, you know, aiding the enemy, collaborating with the enemy. He was the smartest one at the end. He's like, oh, I'm gonna go sit up on the hillside and watch this from a distance. <laughs> um, so I, th- I think he, you know, all along, it's like he's the one to to listen to. So yeah. Yeah, he's
1: almost like the moral center of the film. Right. And I think it's interesting too, um, the exchange that he has with Nicholson, where Nicholson kind of says like, yeah, Jennings, you have a lot to learn about the army, right? And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something that I really related to, um, especially with kind of my experience with Mormonism of being like, well, like you're kind of young, like you don't, you don't quite have all the, all the experience and all the understandings, like just trust kind of your leaders and like things will fall into place. I think that's a very like Mormon way Mm -hmm. of, way of thinking, um, which I mean, can be, you know, soothing to some, but it can also be dangerous depending on, you know, what topic um, and kind of what advice is being given. But that's, that's something I really resonated with.
2: And, you know, just going back to, I guess, maybe more direct connections with the church, just because we've been talking about the movie, but maybe not, you know, I I was trying to think of a direct way that it could relate, but basically I was thinking, you know, as far as what, what hill are you going to die on? What, what are you going to stand for no matter what? And what do you have to like try and defend. And I think one example of that could be um, LGBT issues within the church, Mm -hmm. um, as far as, you know, lives of members of the church that are negatively affected by, and not necessarily doctrine, although that's, I think that's problematic, but even just policies in the church that are harmful or perpetuated or they cause issues. And so Mm -hmm. that was just one example that I thought of. I'm, I'm sure there are more.
0: And I, I and maybe we see this more from sort of the the Japanese commander Saito's point of view of just like like the stubbornness and the unwilling to like admit that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. I feel like and and we do see that, I think, a little bit with Nicholson, where like he has his standards, and then eventually to get the job done, he has to break them and get the officers and then get the people that are in the infirmary to help out and he has to be right first, but yeah, but like, it has to be his, he has to make that decision. It's not going to be forced on him by someone else. And when he makes the decision now it's the right decision to make. And he has yeah. his reasons why. And I feel like that's an uh, analogy, right. You know, of, that we've seen play out multiple times with issues in the church where I feel like leadership has to be right on this thing until they're, you know, they they have the reasoning of why now it's okay this policy or
1: doctrine change, but why it wasn't. But it can't
2: come from the ground up, can't come from the right, grassroots right, right. members, right?
0: It has to.
1: Yeah, can't come from Jennings. It's got to be straight from Nicholson's mouth.
0: Right. right. <laughs> but obviously, you know, like the the way that Nicholson changed things was, I think, ultimately harmful. And like you're saying, Dan, your wife was upset with him. And I think it's uh-huh. so easy to be upset with him because it's just like he's digging his heel, heels in on the right or on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. like it's getting this bridge done and and to the point like that you know it ends up i think being this great bridge but then once it's all built like there's that great moment where he's on the bridge and he's talking to Saito, and he's saying like what's the what's the point though <laughs> like, i've mm-hmm. like, been in the military for 28 years i've only been home for 10 months in all of that and like now i'm looking back and thinking what was the point of all this and like yeah and i feel like there's, there's definitely, um, there were, I went through it, it and still feel that to some degree, that moment of like, look, I was a believing member for all this time. And like, what, like, what is the good that came out of that? And I feel like there are lots of things that I pull out that are good, but there's a lot that like, I look back on and, and do feel like, oh man, like, Wish it was it had the, gone what was the point of that? You know? And like, yeah, that I feel like, um, you know, we could talk about all sorts of things that aren't relevant, but I think that general idea of like, I think that scene is a great one of just like, you were so devoted to this thing, but like, what has that thing ultimately given you in return, and and I think we see different points of view of like, what are the benefits from such dedication to the military from these different characters, and ultimately, everyone dies pretty much like they're, you know, like- Mm -hmm and the only people who live are just left to grapple with the craziness of the situation. I think spiraling. you meant to say madness, the madness, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right,
1: right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting when, um, you know, after the the bridge explodes and, you know, everyone's pretty much dead that warden kind of looks to the, the women that helped pack a lot of the supplies and mm-hmm. kind of turns to them and he's like, well, I, I have to do it. Like, and it's just like interesting because like, he's at this point where he gets to watch everything happen. He's kind of like Jennings, but, you know, as an observer, but he's mm-hmm. kind of more,
0: more complicitly
1: involved as well. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's interesting once, after it happens, like he can understand, like, wow, this was bad. Like, I mean, we got the job done. Cause I mean, big picture, like blowing up the bridge, like that's helping the allies, right? Like mm-hmm. that's making sure that the good guys are winning, but just like the way that they went about doing that and just kind of also seeing Nicholson, and his kind of downfall um, is really, I, I just think it was interesting that he kind of was like, oh, like I had to do it. Like um, he's looking right. for a way to, to justify mm-hmm. like, it's like, oh, this was like means to an end. And
0: Yeah, and again, at the cost of the humans and on his team that he had brought there, he ended up having to be directly involved in their deaths and at the cost of the mission. And yeah, I think it's interesting that he turns to them who like these women who have basically no authority in this situation at all Mm -hmm. and he but he's they're the only people that now he has to explain himself to and
1: oh and i I think it's interesting too like like the women don't even speak english so Mm -hmm. like what he's saying isn't being understood so it's really almost like he's he's really doing that for himself which i Mm -hmm. i think is a fascinating way especially since his character was so like like oh he would leave his own mother you know on a mission if yeah Mm -hmm. like he could complete it so it's really interesting to see him go from you know the star War like and following orders like the military's right to kind of being like oh no like wow like I, I just think that's a, almost an earth strategy moment for him to have yeah. to be like wow I was involved in this and I can't just place it on my superiors.
2: Right. Um I was gonna say just along the lines in that scene this might be a little side note but if I could change one thing about this movie I think it would be great if Nicholson had intentionally detonated. The bridge instead of accidentally falling on it after that's yeah, definitely
0: ambiguous like because I think you could read it as he's falling like trying to fall on it as he dies is the uh-huh. last mm-hmm. act yeah but it's not clear enough whether yeah. it's intentional or not
2: yeah just going along all these lines there's something that I wanted to talk about as far we've talked about like the morality of all these different decisions in mm-hmm. the war from all these different characters uh, I recently read a really good book. It's called The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. Uh, the author is Jonathan Haidt. I don't know if either of you have heard of that.
0: that. I think I have heard of that book. It sounds interesting.
2: It's, I've, it's, heard
0: of, I've heard
1: of the name before,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, it was really good. Highly recommend it. I'll put a link in the show notes um, about it. But basically, he puts forth this premise and there's like way more... Like thought and research, you know, ba- based in like actual studies and science mm-hmm. that has been done, um, then I can like explain in this short show. But basically, he boils down that there are. He shows the evidence shows that there are kind of six basic moral areas that we can use in our decision making or in our in our life as kind of guides. And morality isn't just like one plain uniform thing, but there are different. I forget what he calls it. It's like a matrix or a different foundations within morality. And I'm just going to read like the six that there are. Um, he says, there's a moral foundation of care. There's one for fairness, one for loyalty, one for authority, one for sanctity, and one for liberty. And like, it, it's hard to process all that going through really fast, but basically he goes through and makes the case of, you know, these are each different ways that we can have considerations when making choices of what to believe or what to do. Um, And basically, like, you know, there are different political and religious groups that hold different aspects of these morality, different uh, ones of these foundations higher than other ones. Um, But basically, I kind of went through the main characters, and I kind of like wanted to see which i wanted to apply it to this book that i just read which was really good Mm -hmm. but like Mm -hmm. which foundations each of the characters were um you know following and if we look at Saito and nicholson they are both strongly like basing their morality on the authority area Mm -hmm. you know authority to their higher up officers authority to rules like the geneva convention and that's like the one note that they're singing right yeah. Um, when there's all of these other aspects of morality that should be considered. Nicholson also maybe falls into the loyalty aspect as well. There's, you know, loyalty to country and to mm-hmm. the rules, the crown, right? To the crown, the medical officer who's there at the camp. He is like mostly focused on the morality of care and the morality of sanctity, like the sanctity of human lives. Okay. Okay. And so he's, he's trying to keep that in check while these other two are, you know, have their own views about how the morality of authority should play out. And then if we go to the other characters, Shears, and then Warden, as they're going through the jungle, Major Warden is all about loyalty as well, authority as well, we could say liberty, too. Shears cares about liberty, but also care and sanctity. Just going back to that quote that we had said from him earlier when they were going to he told mm-hmm. him to leave him in the jungle when he was injured. And he's, he says, no. And that's, that's just kind of showing the care and sanctity moral values. Anyways, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, but I just thought that was really cool.
0: Well, and it almost seems like, cause I think that is really interesting. And it almost seems like shears is he's more selfishly motivated, like Liberty, maybe, yeah, maybe from a selfish yeah. point of view, like I want mm-hmm. my freedom. Mm-hmm. Like he's the one who tries, wants to escape and he, he does to go home. Yeah. And then he wants to go home and he keeps getting dragged in and like, he's sort of motivated from like, I've got to do this just to get what I want now. Like, mm-hmm. and that's just to go home. And
1: yeah, I, re- I really feel like it's interesting that we, we start and he's been in the camp forever and he's, he's really jaded. I feel like at that point, like, and mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be curious to see what he was like before, you know, like when he first came to the camp. Yeah. And I mean, cause it, I mean, the movie begins with him burying, a, you know, a lot of a, a couple mm-hmm. of soldiers Um, so it almost feels like that, like selfishness is almost like this form of survival for him. I was like, well, I've, I've kind of lost everybody because almost like, because they were just concerned about this war and, you know, I'm done. Like I've, I've had enough and I'm just kind of focused on me. Um, I just want to survive. Right. And I guess he does have the camaraderie with the the other Australian soldiers. So I, Mm -hmm. I mean, at the beginning, I feel like he isn't so much of a lone wolf, um, until he's kind of the last one surviving. And then he's of just looking out for himself and you
0: know
1: self-preservation in a way
0: when we find out that he stole sort of the uniform and rank of an officer Mm -hmm. to survive Mm -hmm. so i think yeah it's coming from that place of like he's going to do what it takes to survive and the the very classic
2: american point of view as maybe (laughs) compared to the to the british
0: (laughs) which uh little fun side note i read I guess that Cary Grant was first offered the role of wow. Shears and declined. And so they got uh, what I think, William Holden, is that his name? Mm-hmm. Um, who was the star at the time, but not a, not as much of a name as Cary Grant now, Yeah, but yeah, would have been a weird, very different role. I think with Cary Grant in that, mm-hmm. in that character. Yeah.
1: Uh, that would have been fascinating.
0: Um, I think that we've, we've sort of danced around this, but like, the the mission experience and sort of its comparison to military i think is something that happens all the time and to the point obviously that missionaries get called god's army mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. army of healing.
0: <laughs> yeah and so i feel like there's a lot of like i was seeing similarities there especially with like sort of nicholson is sort of like suffering for the sake of suffering like mm-hmm. because suffering will bring about the result that he wants and and I feel like there's a point where it's like with when Jennings comes in and is sort of like, like there's a compromise here that like, where you can keep your pride, but like you don't have to do this either. And sort and everyone doesn't have to suffer. And I definitely saw people on my mission, missionaries sort of wearing their suffering as a badge of pride <laughs> of like that they, what they, all the door, this is how many doors I've knocked and this is how many things I've, you know, and, you know, that suffering will is equated with obedience, I think, sometimes as with missionaries. Ultimately, like, Nicholson loses sight of that. Like, we were talking about the length of this movie. I think you need to see the lengths to which he will go to keep his principles, because he ends up undoing all of them in the second half of the movie. Like, hi- hypocrites are, like, one of the things that drive me the craziest in life. And then, mm. like, I, I as a missionary, I was always driven crazy by the elders uh, who are like the most sort of sanctimonious about all the suffering that they've done. And then you see them on on the other days of the week, you know, bending the rules and like all you know all that sort of stuff. and it's like, well, you can't have it both ways. And, and I think that ultimately like is why Nicholson is so frustrating. He had held to these rules so rigidly. and then one by one undoes all of them. And it's like, well, now you're just a big hypocrite. Like it would have been different if you had decided at the beginning, for the sake of everyone, like we're going to break this rule. It wouldn't matter in the second half of the movie then, because at least he had been consistent. I I see a lot in the church, and that's sort of the bone that I pick the most. Maybe uh, hypocritical actions that I would be I would be okay with this thing if at least you were consistent mm-hmm. in this thing. And
2: yeah, I hadn't made the the mission connection but that's like perfect i think especially viewing it from a point of like obedience to the rules here's mm-hmm. your white handbook and that's you know you have to do this and you know in the book of mormon they talk about exact obedience and then they get blessings and
0: and sort of when nicholson's being taken into the like box to suffer uh-huh. everyone's like singing you know praising <laughs> right. him and sort of like uh-huh. i feel like that's just sort of the like that mentality is very missionary-ish. Yeah, yeah. Just
1: insert call to serve in there and you wouldn't as <laughs> <know Yeah>. much <laughs> of a difference, right? <laughs> um, But I, this is like maybe a
2: really weird tangent of a movie to make a connection to, but have either of you seen, uh, what is it? God's Army 2, States of Grace? Not the second one, no.
0: I, I know okay. enough of it and I thought about that, <laughs> knowing the story. Yeah. Thought about it with this that, movie too.
2: That movie, I mean, it's not as big as God's Army. It It's, and it's, you know, a movie about Mormon missionaries. But I think as far as Mormon movies go, it has a lot of nuance in it. And Mm -hmm. it kind of tackles hard questions about, oh, maybe, you know, strict obedience to the mission rules. Maybe that's not the most Christ-like thing or the best moral decision to do in every scenario. And so I appreciated how that movie, well, from a faithful perspective, was willing to analyze kind of the gray areas
0: which I think is all over this movie of like, you know, when is it okay to hold to the rules and when is it okay to not? And uh, yeah, sort of, I think the theme of this podcast episode is, you know, what Hill are you willing to die on and, Mm -hmm. and why? And, and I feel like for me, at least my experience with the church is that like, eventually there were too many Hills that I wasn't willing to defend anymore. Yeah. It's like, I'm not going to die on that hill, but I'm not even like, I don't want to be by that hill anymore. Right. And, I'm getting off. And yeah, I'm going to go sit on the stump over here <laughs> yeah. on the
1: side and watch it all play out now. Yeah. And I, I, I think to bring up a point that Nikki talked about a little while ago about, you know, of Nicholson saying like, I've been in the military 28 years. What, like, what do I have left? Right. Mm-hmm. What, what was it for? And I, I think it's interesting because I feel like, especially with, like the missions, I feel like it was really gore- goal oriented and even just in the church. Right. I mean, there's like a specific, like, Hey, get baptized. If you're male, get the priesthood. Right. Um, mm-hmm. there's a checklist, you know, get married after, after your mission kind of thing. Um, and so I think it's interesting that like, it almost felt like Nicholson could say like, at least I have this bridge, like right. it's not the best, like, it's not exactly what I stand for per se, but at least I, I have this bridge. Like this shows what I've done, um, you know, my time in the military and, I mean, I, I think the bridge exploding is kind of almost like a shelf breaking, you know, to steal the
2: mm-hmm.
1: out of the more of the Mormon phrase of like, yeah, like, oh, I built this great thing, but now like I'm deconstructing it. And I mean, it, for some people, it might be an explosion. You know, mine wasn't that way. It was more like, you know, lock by lock. I'd mm-hmm. say.
2: Dismantling. Yeah. Piece by piece. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some people have a train careen through their shelf.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think mean, that's because like whether you want to read it as, oh, Nicholson, purposely fell to explode the bridge or if it was an accident or not i think i think it's a lot more meaningful if he like meant to explode it like Mm -hmm, be like because he had tied so much of his it almost felt like he tied his worth and his whole time in the military to this one bridge like and even just his country like his ideals of you know of british work ethic like this is evidence of what i've done and what i stand for and what my country stands for and so like i think it's huge even in, in his last moments in his life to be like well, you know, I built all this stuff, but, you know, I'm, I've realized I was wrong and I'm willing to let it go. You know, I'm willing to let the plaque go down the river and never be seen again. It's um, mm-hmm. so not something I really connected with. Just, you know, having that, I guess, maturity to be like, well, like there's a lot of positive things, but I need to accept the fact that, you know, I can walk away and I can, you know, deconstruct and change a couple of things. I don't have to be beholden to this thing that I built before that isn't, isn't me anymore.
0: hmm yeah. I think that was really well put. Yeah. I'm to that a lot. I think, yeah, the bridge is extremely symbolic of sort of, you know, Nicholson's career, but also sort of, this is what the, the British military stands for and the quality that they bring. And,
2: you know, just to play devil's
0: advocate, I I, I
2: think there are values and there's something to be said for digging your boots, you know, digging mm-hmm. your heels in and, and standing up for principles and things. Right. And so no, I, I don't think that it's like, you know, just want our listeners to know we're not like completely bashing on <laughs> mm-hmm. these principles Walls. or these, these yeah. yeah. <laughs> do whatever you but, want. You know, let's, yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, you know, consider the whole picture. Sorry. Anyways, back to you, Nick.
0: I think two things. I think this is the shorter one is that like, as far as symbolism goes, of sort of like building something for the sake of building something to show that, like, look at what we do, look at what we can do. I thought about temples and that, you know, I feel like sometimes while temples are very meaningful to a believing member of the church and, and members who do go to the temple, find lots of value in them. I think there is also like a symbolic sort of bridge uh, metaphor there of like Mm -hmm. planting another flag of like, look how far we've spread and look how beautiful this building is. And like, and sort of, this is what a Mormon looks like is like that temple. And to the point that like, you know, there've been like something like, I mean, dozens of temples announced and not built yet. Like we're, you know, I feel like in some ways, are you building this for the value that it brings to members? Or is it because now we have a little more bragging rights of like, look what country we're in and what we can do. That's Mm -hmm. probably not something that everyone would agree with, but it was something that struck a chord with me.
2: No, I can see that. And it's like, would the money that was used to build this temple, could that have possibly been used to bless the lives of other people in maybe ways that would be more meaningful? Again, you know, this is coming from a a (laughs) post-Mormon perspective.
0: (laughs) And I think related to that is going back to the quote that you had from Joseph Smith earlier, where like, Uh if we all go to hell, like we're going to make a heaven of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, that's a very like colonizer mindset, Mm-hmm. Of like that, we're gonna go to this place and we're gonna put our values and our morals onto it because we know what's right for it. And maybe the people who live in hell don't want to go to heaven, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like maybe they'll yeah. be upset that you made it heaven-like. And <laughs> and I think that there's obvious, I think you can't watch a war movie, especially talking about the you know, the Asian theater of World War II mm-hmm. without getting into sort of the like the the racial quagmire of of what's going on that you know because to the point that like they even say in this movie that like i think it's an argument between nicholson and and maybe shears where they're saying like we're you know like we're gonna bring you know we need to make it more civilized here like it's nicholson's point of view and shears is like well that's the problem there is no civilization here and he's like well we'll bring it you know like we'll make it civilized and Mm -hmm. and i think that like that mindset of like Is I think behind this bridge as well is that like the British know how to build a bridge so we're going to build it the British way and we're going to build this because it's they don't know that they want this but they want this and we're going to build it so that it's better for them and I think that sometimes even temples can sort of feel like that idea Dan of like like is this something that's going to benefit everyone or are there other things that could have been done maybe like do we need this big of a building or this expensive of a building maybe something else would have been better for the people here but uh, you know we've got to bring utah to the world Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah and i I know that's something too i I think it's a good point um i know i I served my mission in japan so like watching it mm -hmm. you know i'd seen this before my mission but watching Mm -hmm. it now with kind of that a little bit more understanding of i guess just japanese culture and just their especially like their role in world war ii Mm -hmm. I, i think you know, and just their relationship with, you know, European powers, um, it almost made me like wince a little bit to be like, oh, like, I remember I had some of this colonial mindset, you know, mm-hmm. early yeah. on my mission. Um, I, I think being there um, kind of helped a little bit of deconstructing that colonial mindset. But yeah, I, I think that's something that, that I resonated with, especially like, oh, like, I kind of initially went on my mission in Japan to kind of, you know, bring the civilization, you know, it wasn't a bridge, it was more, you know, a mindset a perspective. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I had like the exact same thing happen to me when I was, I, I served in Paraguay,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but I had one of my, he was my first district leader and we were on splits or something. And, and I was just with him and he was talking to me and he's like talking about how the LDS church is very much an American church, an American institution. Like I had never thought about that. And it just gave me a whole new way to think about like, Oh, like And then just later on talking to like branch presidents in different areas that I served about how, oh, like missionary work is kind of like cultural imperialism a little bit, like trying to instill these American slash Mormon values where they don't necessarily exist and, you know, for better or for worse, you know, and there's discussions to be had about that. But same, like I I hadn't thought about that until I was like on my mission was just kind of a weird thing to realize that i was a part of i guess
0: Mm -hmm. have you guys seen a movie um a knight's tale Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's a scene in a knight's tale where um like the his crew are at a bar and there's these uh, like sort of their equivalents from some french competitor in the jousting tournament and the french guys are they're sort of talking trash with these guys and they're saying like the pope is french and like, as they're sort of like bragging, you know, that like, we're better because the Pope is French. And one of the guys from our characters were following, it's like, well, the Pope may be French, but Jesus is British. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Mormon equivalent of that is that like, well, Jesus is American. And yeah. I feel like Jesus is Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and Jesus is Mormon and sort of yeah. like um, that those things are go together with, with missionary work and I didn't have that experience. I went to Florida, which sometimes felt like another country on my mission, but <laughs> I bet, didn't yeah. have that sort of experience. Well, anything else that uh, you guys wanted to bring up? I feel like we've talked a lot about the things I thought of.
2: Yeah, I think I went through my list of everything I'd wanted to talk about. Yeah, same here. Awesome. Well, I, I thought this was a really good discussion. Um, thank you so much, Sean, for joining us.
0: Yeah, this is definitely a movie I would not have thought of on this po- for this podcast i mean it, it had been a little too long since i'd seen it last mm-hmm. first of all but then also just like it wasn't on my mind at all and it is so perfect like it was a great choice
1: yeah thanks no i yeah. personal favorite of mine so
0: and yeah. again congratulations
2: for winning the oscars prediction competition <laughs> yeah I'm,
1: i mean it was a little bit rough watching it so i'm glad there's something the positive that came out of yeah. it
0: for me <laughs> yeah yeah a consolation prize for yeah,
1: yeah. I was definitely happy a couple hours after the ceremony to be like, Hey, you won. I'm like, Oh, good, cool. Like that, uh, takes the, you know, takes the sour taste out of my mouth. That, uh, yeah. Ending. You know, yeah. weird
0: ending. Yeah, weird No ending. one else really won watching the Oscars. So.
2: <laughs> Anyways. Um, thanks for joining us. This was awesome. Yeah, no, thanks for uh, it, was, it was fun to get to meet a real life, uh, listener to the show. Yeah. That wasn't, you know, a family member.
1: So <laughs> we're, we're out there.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Anyways, thank you for joining us. This has been another episode of Postmormon at the Movies. And we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Postmormon at the Movies is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow us for regular updates and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you can download episodes as they become available. Thank you for listening, and we will see you at the Movies next time.